You're listening to the Electronic Media Collective Podcast Network. For more great shows like the one you're about to enjoy, visit electronicmediacollective.com. And now, our feature presentation. And we are back with much pomp and circumstance. Hello, everyone. Happy May. Happy, you know, really congratulations to all the graduates out there. You know, we really want to do this special episode just for all you people graduating. As always, I am the GOAT, joined by Trev3K. Trev, how are you doing, man? I'm great, GOAT. And I also, because I'm one of them, I also just want to throw out a congrats to all the teachers who are wrapping up. Because, you know, we need to get the summer off, too. And so we we want to celebrate as well. Yeah, big time. I bet all the teachers do it. I bet more high school teachers are more happy. I mean, obviously, college teachers like yourself are happy. But but I bet high school teachers really can't stand (laughs) by the end of the year. You know what I mean? Yeah, I would imagine so. So we are going to get rolling... This was, I mean, really, this was Trev's pick, but it it really took us down this whole road. You know, we really covered the original film, Class of 1984, just so we could lead up to this. Yeah. And this here, is kind of cool. It's like our for like a, a sequel episode. It is. It really is. So, As a matter of fact, I would say this is like this is more of a sequel to our Class of 1984 podcast than this movie is a sequel to Class of 1984. I will actually agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and speaking of sequeling, I actually have well, actually not news, but lack of news that that I'll share here in a second. You know, to kind of sequelize this episode even more. But uh, yeah, let's get rolling. First of all, I want to give a disclaimer. There's a few different versions. Oh wait, we didn't even did we even say what the movie is? <laughs> yeah, everyone happy. Why do I keep saying happy? They're like that's not what you say. <laughs> everyone, congratulations to the class of 1999. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, just the you know a little bit of disclaimer here. I am rolling off a DVD copy of this. Trev is rolling off a brand well, not brand new, but it's pretty new. It's only been out a handful of months. The Vestron Video Collector's Edition Blu-ray. So these have kind of slightly different timing in terms of, you know, when the picture first comes on. Because mine has an Artisan uh, logo. If you're old enough to uh, remember Artisan Entertainment, big, you know, big thumbs up to you. Trev is rolling off the Vestron one. So there's different logos, different timing. On the DVD, we have it paused at, or I have it paused at the 11 second uh, mark. And that's just basically a orange... Um, that's like the first picture you see after the logo actually come on screen. It's like an orange uh, kind of arty design, and as it plays here, we'll, we'll see really what that is. Trev, on your Blu-ray copy, on your beautiful Vestron video Blu-ray copy that I wish I wish I had right now, what is the second mark? Uh, you know, when, when you get the first bit of picture of the actual movie on yours. Yeah, so if you're rolling like me off the fancy Vestron Special Edition, you're going to want to sync up to about 17 seconds. Because with this one, you get a Vestron uh, Pictures logo first, and then a little bit of black. Yeah. And then that uh, that orange kind of design starts to pop up at around 17 seconds. Exactly. So, so if you got the DVD, like me, 11 seconds. If you got the fancy uh, Blue Bud Blu-ray, like Travis, 17 <laughs> seconds. I'm going to say one, two, three, go. Everybody grab your... PS3 remotes. I actually bet there's more people watching this movie on PS3s than PS4s for some reason, if that makes sense to you. But uh, I have a, a, a Blu-ray remote. I think Trev is rolling with the Blu-ray remote now. He doesn't have the... Yep. At one time, we both were rolling with the PS3 controllers. That, yeah, was, no, that we... was a glorious era for this podcast. <laughs> yeah. I'm sad that it's over. But anyway, here we go. Everybody, you got your remote, Trev? I'm good, yep. All right, everybody, one, two, three, go. And we are now playing this movie. 
very kind of hypnotic. Uh, uh, this is a sequel to a movie called Class of 1984 with the same director, right? Mark Lester yeah. directed this too. Yeah. yeah. But he really like, like you said, it's not it's not much of a sequel in terms of like stylistically or anything because like. Yeah. No, it strikes as, I even wondered about that. Like, I wondered if he considers it a sequel. And going into the special features on this Blu-ray, I found out that he definitely does. And I think he considers it more of a sequel than I think most other people do. Yeah. I mean, I guess, I, you know, it's like a, you know, sometimes we talk about spiritual sequels. I would, that's where I would take that argument, I suppose. But certainly not a traditional sequel in any sense. Mm-mm. And much kind of like the opening crawl a little bit that we, we have like an opening kind of narration, 1980, class 1984, just telling us that youths were committing crimes. Here we have a very like escape from, didn't you feel this was like an escape oh, yeah. from New York? Yeah. Yeah, I don't think you have to say a little bit. I think this is a flat-out ripoff. But, you know, and that's and, and people might think that's an insult, but it's not. This is no. the kind of exploitation flick I love from this time, which is just full of, like, ripping off other films, but, joining, like, merging them all together and creating its own kind of little special thing. But this definitely has that vibe. It even feels more to me, like, and this actually predates that, but this one feels more like the opening of Escape from L.A. because it has that yeah. kind of same look to it, even. Yeah, it's, like, it's, it's funny because it's a... Uh... You know, the the movies that this kind of reminds me of a lot is, is, like you said, Escape from L.A. And there's a lot of Terminator stuff, which the first Terminator film obviously was out when this movie came out, but Terminator 2 was not out. So it wasn't even like people really had Terminator mania at the time anymore. And, um, yeah, so it basically opened up just saying that there's all these crimes going on in high schools and whatnot. We basically opened... Now, I, I need a little help from you, Trev, because... I didn't quite understand where this office was, what it was supposed to be. It's it's almost like a corporate boardroom. Mm-hmm. And you got Stacy Keach who looks like a robot. And uh but but uh isn't Malcolm yeah, Malcolm McDowell's here. Like I really don't understand why he's participating in this. Is it just that Stacy Keach is uh, pitching the robots to or introducing the robots to the school board. Is that kind of what's yeah, going on? Yeah, well, I think it's more like they've already like, they've already signed the deal with the school. Um, but the Rocket McDowell is basically there because this is the introduction to like I, it, I take it like the board of investors, you know, right. like about this program and explaining how this program is going to work. So to, as to what you were saying, go like in this opening narration, we learned that. Things have gotten so out of control in the far future of 1999. Yes, 1990. uh, (laughs) Gangs have basically just taken over schools, and they basically just, all these schools are now located what are called free fire zones, which are areas where police don't even go into. But they still want to somehow have some kind of level of control. So a government department called the Department of, what is it, Department of Education Defense. Yeah, Educational Defense, I believe. Educational Defense, yeah, has contracted this company called Megatech to do something about it that's run by stacy keach and now we're learning that their solution is to create robotic um you know android teachers that will go in and basically take control of this by so way, that's all the exposition out of the way now we can just talk about how crazy this movie is really crazy by the way megatech made some great motorized squirt guns in the 1980s i don't know if you, you're probably too young to remember those but megatech man they had them great squirt guns but yeah i just i just want to drop a little kind of note and disclaimer not even disclaimer. Just a let, let's talk about Mark L. Lester timelines now. When he made the class of 1984, he shot it in 1981. He released it in 1982, and he called it the class of 1984. So he yeah. was talking about the very near future, two years in the future, yeah. which kind of makes sense because it's not that over the top. You know, it's it feels kind of you know prescient a little bit. Exactly. This movie in particular. Um, 
I'm guessing was shot around 88. It was originally scheduled to uh, be released in 89. And uh, not really any, like, real problems or anything. I guess just, like, some whatever business stuff with the distributors. It pushed it back just a little bit, like a handful of months. So, technically, you always see this listed as a 1990s film. Or ni- literally 1990 film. Yep. But but it, but I gotta say, you know, usually when you get a film that comes out around 1990, it's very, you know, reeks of the previous oh, decade. Yeah, which, this movie reeks of the 80s for sure. Yeah, it, it has a lot of 80s, but but it but in a way though, it kind of is a forebearer of some 90s fashion. Like there's a lot of like Rico Suave fashion <laughs> when we get into the gangs and what they were. Well, it's like, kind of it's like the last gasp of a thing I love and that we talked about in the last episode, the class of 84 episode is like the 80s movie punks. Yeah. Um and more specifically like ad- adults making movies about like young punks and right. thinking that this is what the the scene looks like. And this is like one of the last films where you really get that kind of overboard, you know, kind of stylish version of it as we're seeing right now on screen with all these characters. And it's kind of funny. And Malcolm McDowell's in this movie, you know, obviously he's playing a square character. He plays like the, um, the uh, principal of the school, but it's funny though, because remember Trev, when we did a uh, class of 84, we were talking about how there was this very like clockwork oranges punks on the cover and on the mm-hmm. on the poster and whatever. I feel like this movie actually delivers more a little bit on the clockwork orange fashion sense than class of Oh yeah, yeah. And it's it's no mistake that Malcolm McDowell's in it. Mark Lester makes clear on the uh, in the special features that Clockwork Orange is his favorite film and he was uh, for both of these he was very influenced by that. And so he was obviously very excited to get Malcolm McDowell. And there's an element to where you can kind of look at it and say, "Oh, the use of Malcolm McDowell this is a little disappointing." But since yeah. everything else is so great, it's easy to forgive. And you still get Malcolm McDowell whether it's, you know, a, a lot of him or not so right yeah it is a little bit and it's kind of funny that they turn him on the head and he you know your expectations on the head a little bit and he actually is a good guy in this film. yeah yes yeah. so, and you'd think like traditionally you'd probably i think most people could think that he would play the part that stacy keach plays but right i kind of like the subversion just because i also you don't want to lose whatever stacy keach is doing in this which is pretty great you, you know it's kind of funny because stacy and we'll get into it a little more as these robotics get explained more and more but I just uh, I always got a weird feeling watching this like thinking Stacy Keach was supposed to be a robot but he's he's actually not he's actually is human no. uh, it, it, I think it was really like weird. it was his idea to have like the to be an albino he said like yeah. he wanted the contacts he wanted that wig and was, he I don't think even he had an explanation for it I think he just thought it would make him look creepier yeah let's talk about the wig the wig is kind of like what would you say it's almost like a a, a, a stark white kind of flat top haircut with like a rat tail coming out the back yeah, it's like a rat it's like a rat tail mullet yeah kinda, but yeah but but pure white uh, I don't know it's a it's a bold interesting choice I know that yeah and and i gotta say this is a good note for like you know aspiring screenwriters out there is like to you you can write some shit into your story to really like you know kind of up the urgency and, and get the story going in a quicker direction okay this movie opens up the our main hero here bradley Gregg. He gets released out of jail at probably what seven o'clock in the morning. They tell him you got to be at school by I think <laughs> nine, or else, or yeah. else you'll be thrown back in prison. That's a very tight time frame to kind of collect yourself after doing a long prison break. And I was like, you got to be in class, like get doing homework and shit within two hours, probably. <laughs> It's really strange, too, because they say that, like, so here we see, Brad, like, as you said, the hero of this movie is a character named Cody's Culk, Cody Culp, sorry, played by Bradley Gregg. I'm sure we'll talk a lot about this performance. Yeah. Um, 
But uh, as you said, he gets out of prison. He's sent right to school because we learned that part of the deal they've made with the government to test this program is to release some of these the deadlier, like the, the more dangerous students that were in prison and send them to school to see if it works. But as right. we learned here, I don't think they need to do that. I think the regular student base yeah. is pretty bad. You know, <laughs> like I don't see why the the addition of Cody it would like really prove the program. As a matter of fact, he seems to be the the least of their concerns. Right. So here we see him kind of yeah. coming back to his life and joining up with his brother. And have now, even on the way to school, he's driving through rival gang territory, which turns yeah. into this big car chase scene. Yeah. And I got to say, I don't have many like complaints about this movie, but we'll kind of get into it. I have a real big problem. And I understand like they want to start the movie off with a bang, show how crazy these gangs are, how well armed they are. But I have a real problem with this. Okay. The gang is chasing them. The, the other gang, um, the... Um, Razorheads. Razorheads, yeah. Razorheads, they're led by this guy. Uh, his name's Hector, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Hector. He, Hector's like, you know, in the back of this, like, um, giant um, pickup truck with a machine gun. He's shooting at Cody and all this. And, like, they hit a ramp and, like, literally this thing flips over, which would kill anyone, okay? Mm-hmm. But, I mean, the, you know, okay, Hector gets away with some, you know, some scratches and shit. You know, some, some, some you, know, le- you know, abrasions, whatever, cuts. So we're going to go to school here, and like within a matter of like five minutes, they're going to be in the same class together. And Hector doesn't want any payback, <laughs> like nothing. Like he almost yeah. doesn't even notice that Cody's in the thing, you know? Like I, so I, yeah, you know, I, I, I noticed that for sure. But I'll say, like, so I'm a recent convert to that film. This film, as you know, I just saw this for the first time a few months ago, and and just instantly fell in love with it and started talking to you about it right away. And um, and you were already kind of familiar with it, but I was just blown away. And I was like, man, if I had seen this movie years ago, this would have always been like one of my favorite kind of, you know, 80s crazy yeah. exploitation flicks. And it still is now. But uh, the, at that moment when I watched it the first time, that what you just said, the fact that they get to school and then Hector is just there and he's yeah. kind of just got a little cut on his head and they're just at school. That's when I kind of fell in love with the movie. I was like, OK, because right. that that kind of gives you permission to like, you know, what kind of movie you're in for at that point, you know, like. Oh, okay, I don't need to take this very seriously. This movie is what it is, and it just kind of right away you're sold a different tone than '84. Um, it's like, oh, yeah. this is just this is a cartoon essentially. I think another thing that sells the cartoon idea is if you pay attention to all of our main characters, except for um, except for Tracy Lynn, uh, everybody wears the exact same clothes every day, and this is a very cartoon kind of thing. But yeah, it's very bizarre. Because I kind of jumped ahead, it hasn't even happened yet. But but I, I forgot to talk about the Mos Eisley spaceport parking lot of this high school. Did you notice like that weird, uh, like weird? strange motorcycle thing? Yeah, yeah, like with a cockpit on it. Looks like you just like lay in it like a coffin, <laughs> like <laughs> drive to school or whatever. And like Cody's car, which really isn't even his car, I don't think. I think it's supposed to be his friend's car. Like they kind of just took uh, '80s cars, or some of them even look older, like maybe late '70s. They took older cars and they just put these weird like ground effect kits on it. Did you notice that, Trev? Yeah. So like they almost like dragged the ground, you know. I'm realizing now as we're watching this, like, and go, you're probably thinking the same thing. It's like I love this movie, but I'm realizing this movie actually moves so fast that it's like crap. We're like I, there's so much I want to talk about that's just like it's kind of hard to keep up with. But uh, because we didn't like you know, there's so much to already say about the general concept of this film is just kind of funny to me because it's never quite explained what's making these students actually show up and go to school. You know, they live in this like free fire zone. The cops don't come in. Like, why do they show up? And like, why does it matter? And then they're, they check in their guns, which obviously is really funny. And, but also kind of sad and kind of works as commentary today, (laughs) even more than it did at the time. 
But it's just like there's no there's no real sense of like why they would even bother Not like leaving all. like and coming to school. I mean, uh, other than the main character uh, Cody, because he gets out and they're like, he, though he's told he has to. He yeah, has to. But other than parole. that, like you just. I don't think these kids are like none of them would be at school at all because yeah. like you said like like you know they if you, if for the people who haven't really seen this movie before they're supposed to be living in a part of uh, Seattle that is completely blocked off from police like everything like you know what I mean like 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 nothing like there's no law and order so I mean it's essentially like if there was like a high school inside New York and escape from New York and people right. were actually going to it uh, by the way, we just got to another one of my favorite things about this. So um, because they're right, Megatech is running this program of the androids in the school, there's a secret control base in the basement yeah. of the school. And when Stacy Keach, uh, as Dr. Forrest, the, the head of Megatech, goes to the, the lab, he's, he takes off his regular jacket and then puts on a lab coat. But he, there's no reason to wear a lab coat. Like not Everyone down there is wearing lab coats, but they're just watching monitors. No, I love yeah, that. It's not a sterile environment for any reason <laughs> whatsoever. It's not like they're doing maintenance on the robots in there. You know what I mean? Like just nothing. No, it's just like they're like, oh, he's evil. He should have a lab coat on. Exactly. And I got I to gotta say one thing that I, that I thought was like really peculiar, like watching this again, Trev, is uh, now to their defense somewhat, they do have stormtroopers that, that like kind of, you know, prowl around the school you know l- looking for people just you know loitering in the hallways or whatever but like for the most part is like the first movie just took place you know a school in a bad neighborhood and that yeah. school was ridiculously every inch of it was covered with graffiti so much that we talked about the behind the scenes a little bit they couldn't get all the graffiti off and that caused problems this school is in literally a, a like demilitarized or whatever you call it like where like literally you can do any crime like you could kill somebody you could rape somebody you could rob a bank you could do anything and the cops ain't going to come chase you but yet the school is very pristine and clean and no graffiti whatsoever <laughs> yeah yeah and like and like what you said like even to i think we talked about in the the other film about how it wasn't sold like every student was bad it was just a definitely like there were some trouble students but a lot of good ones too this school there's like if you're trying to actually do your homework, you're in the minority. This school exactly. is just like populated by ruffians and and gang members. Yeah, it's crazy. And like this is this scene right here was really about the only scene that for me was like a strong call back to class of 1984 because you had where Perry King came in and you know he came in and like everybody was roughhousing and he, he told a couple of the gang members to get out this one's much different and we haven't even really mentioned the three robots we'll, we'll just talk about the first one here that we really get to know this is miss connor uh played by the awesome still very much in her prime uh pam greer i love she's so hot she's super oh, hot this ridiculously movie. ridiculously and like the the thing that's I think is kind of interesting, and I think Pam Greer's uh, you know cyborg character here kind of shows it, is um, right off the bat. The thing that's interesting about this film, I was gonna say what you thought about this show because like they don't treat the robots like okay, at least outwardly they you know they have the Terminator vision and we sh- we see what they're thinking and how their AI is working, but on the outside they their 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 posture, their gestures, their speech they don't act like robots at all, which I actually thought was a very yeah, yeah. smart and refreshing move. Yeah, they seem to have a, they seem to have a sense of humor. They are sometimes sarcastic. Uh, they get frustrated. Uh, yeah, I, I like that too. It just makes them stand out more as characters, and I really like all three of these characters. I think they're all they're all pretty interesting, and they, it, it, they could have all just been you know uh, 
robotic and boring right. and mark lester i think was smarter to just like no this, this is a kid this is a movie that's only going to work if all the characters are over the top and extreme exactly and and he goes for it and i really like how pam greer is telling the gang member guy like you got to be cool you got to walk cool you got to talk cool you're not being cool right now and like they really give her some some guff like you know they're going to like do something bad to her and uh she completely just kind of overpowers them, pushes them over. Like these are some weak ass gang members. Well, which... I love that too. Like that's where I talk about you have to you just have to accept this movie if, with a sense of humor for sure because you know these kids they're 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 ready to like it seem like murder her you know, right. and then she just pushes two of them over and steps on another's foot and suddenly everyone in the class is like oh my god like okay <laughs> they just they instantly snap into line you know, like I think if this was made today obviously they'd probably have her like throw them, throwing the students around and stuff right. and this is like breaking arms and yeah. yeah. And I've actually seen so I've read a couple of reviews of this that complain about how there's not a lot of action for like the first two thirds, and I oh. uh, that just seems to be an odd complaint to me considering how incredible the last third is. Yeah, the last act is just so awesome. But I also think like it that's kind of I, I like the way this movie is paced, and I think it builds on it well. Well, I gotta say for you know these types of movies which very usually have very stock and very generic characters, and there are kind of a couple like whatever you know performances. In this, I gotta say like. I to me rewatching this again, like I found the acting and the in, in the the writing and the character depth. Like I enjoyed all this. Like I didn't want to like hurry up and get it over with and just have nonstop fighting. You know what I mean? Like, like I pretty much like as cool and and you know awesome as like the second half is on an action standpoint. I almost really like the first like the setup i guess of just introducing these these uh you know android teachers into the school and seeing how they react you know what do you think of this jacket that cody wears this whole movie this like kind of like half jacket that only comes down to just below his chest you know that jacket believe it or not has stood out for me like ever since the first time i seen this movie i actually really like it and i like how it goes with the shirt and i even like his weird ass necklace i actually Mm -hmm. like i mean it'd be very easy to look at it and laugh now but like i actually think it's a pretty good you know whatever look for this type of movie this type of character i actually think that's kind of the best thing about him is his outfit it's not the performance let's talk about the performance yeah let's get into it a little bit Okay. Um, first off the bat, I just gotta say it's 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 distracting in a way, in terms yeah. of like it it's weird. It's like he's channeling Corey Feldman. Even his voice sounds exactly like Corey Feldman to the point where I was just like, they should have like I started thinking that this movie like would have been kind of cooler and more of a retro curiosity now if they could have just got Corey Feldman. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, it seems like it's definitely the kind of part he could easily slip right into. It is distracting just because, as you said, I think everyone else, you know, you can poke fun at this movie, like, for certain elements. And I think the movie, I think, you know, even Lester would acknowledge that it's a goofy movie. But everyone else is kind of giving, you know, real performances. And then Bradley Gregg really has that. And people will know what I'm talking about, even if they haven't seen this. You've seen, like, actors before who are trying very hard to be a badass. Right but aren't necessarily a badass. And that's really the vibe you get from Bradley Gregg in this. But I, I find the performance oddly captivating. And, oh, I like and, it. And yeah. Ca- yeah. It's, it's like, it's, it's just, it's, it's offbeat in a really, I'm not ready to, yeah, I'm not ready to say it's a good performance, but I, it's definitely interesting. And I find him to be really entertaining in the movie. 
and people who don't know, like uh, if anyone's wondering who Bradley Gregg is, because obviously it's not a very well-known name, you're, you'd probably most know him as um, in Dream Warriors. He's the kid yeah. who uh, the the puppeteer who the one who's yeah. uh, you know eventually made into a marionette puppet. He was actually you know as far as like all the side characters that were in that you know that mental hospital, he was actually my favorite out of all of those. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, here and and I think it has to do with Lester's writing and directing, quite honestly, because his character has an insane amount of one-liners once the action gets going. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how much it was Bradley Gregg like putting on this performance, feeling like okay, this is his first lead, kind of. He has to be a leading man now. He has to be an action hero. But yeah, it it, it very much comes off as someone kind of pretending or trying to be, you know, a mm-hmm. lead character. Now I just want to point out, and this is very obscure, uh, whatever. One of the kind of the side uh, characters for the the Razorheads here, the kid on the left here at the desk, he's going to get in a fight with the bleach character. But the the darker hair kid here, he um, his name is like Brent David Fraser or something like that. He actually, um, and I thought it was interesting him popping up in this just a few years later. He was actually in the Chocolate War as the main bully, Emil Janza, who was always like, oh yeah, yeah. So I thought it was interesting that, you know, kind of, you know, however much it was, you know, two, three years later after Chocolate War, he was still kind of playing these these high school bullies. I looked him up. He doesn't have a whole lot of credits. Like after a certain point, it just seems like maybe he got out of the business. But, yeah, I was surprised when I noticed him, you know, in this. Now, am I crazy in thinking because it's like ever since I saw this first, it's like every time I watch this now, I think of it. Hector, the actor who plays Hector, um, James Medina. Does he look a lot like Lin-Manuel Miranda? Because re- that's what he really does. And you know what threw me <laughs> off was uh, the actor James Medina. He looked very familiar to me, and I really thought he was going to like have been in a lot of shit that I seen. I looked up his credits, and he wasn't in like a whole lot, honestly. He was another one. It looks like kind of just got out of the business at some point in time. Here we have the uh, infamous Robo spanking scene. Yeah. I'm, I, I know this guy's name. I'm blanking on right now, but, the, but it's actually an older, kind of older guy. That, John P. Ryan is the actor. That's right. Yeah. John P. Ryan uh, plays the uh, history teacher, which is kind of... Mr. Harden, definitely my favorite character in the film. He's kind of the leader of the robots, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Um, like, he doesn't bark orders, but it always seems like he's kind of, like, pushing the agenda of, like, what they should do next. Because, like, one thing, as it goes on, the robots, like, they actually have dialogue scenes between each other where they... um. They, they kind of strategize, or at least they're kind of announcing, at least to the audience, is really what's going on, of kind of, you know, giving you clues of what's going to happen next. But yeah, he actually takes these two uh, boys, uh, really grown men, but these two boys that are fist fighting and beating the shit out of each other, he takes them and spanks them, but it's like, what, what, how would you describe the spanking? It's very kinetic and <laughs> yeah, it's just very fast, but very, but very robotic. But yeah. I, I love that whole scene because when he first comes in, like that's what you're talking about. The, the robots actually having personalities. It's kind of another area where the movie just like really wins me over. When he comes in, he's just so enthusiastic and like you know excited to be teaching history. Right. And then and then he just has to lay down the law once a fight breaks out in the class. But I yeah I love that hardened character. I think he's very interesting and just a, a great performance from from John P. Ryan. You know sometimes you get those older actors in movies like this and you can tell they feel like something's gone wrong in their career you know yeah. like they they kind of are slumming it but he just seems like he's having a ball in this and oh, then yeah, they, he they owns do it. and they do say in the special features that he was like he was so great on set and that he would often like offer advice to all the other actors and you know tell them like oh you should try this and stuff so he was very he was very into this which is nice to hear too it's nice yeah and here we have the, they come over from school and they um they uh 
they catch up with their buddy who who he, he was like when they got to school because he, he was mouthing off. He got dragged away by the stormtroopers, but the stormtroopers actually threw him to the Razorheads who like cut him up. I guess that's really how they define the Razorheads in this um, this movie is if if they get you they like it, it really looks like they cut you with a bunch of little razors because everybody has these little cuts all over themselves, you know. Mm-hmm. Now, have you ever been like like because I've watched this multiple times already since seeing it just for the first time a few months ago, but this, this buddy character, does it ever confuse you if he was, like, supposed to be, like, one uh, their other brother or just a friend? Because it's very odd, because it's like he's at their home when they come home, just sitting there. You, you know, I'm I'm pretty sure he's just the friend, but maybe mm-hmm. it's, like, one of those things where, like, his, you know, his whatever. Because, like, you know how they make the big plot point later? Because he gets, you know, he gets killed and... and he uh bradley gray gets the um the like the crucifix thing yeah and he's he's, he's, he's i believe he says he would have never given this up i think he says because his mom gave it to him i could be wrong about that okay yeah well also he just definitely like cody definitely doesn't react to that death the way he reacts to his no. actual like so yeah. yeah which that was a good reminder for me to put on my subtitles i don't know why i didn't have them already <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, this this movie kind of plays really well with the sound off. Believe it or not, just watching the visuals, you know, like it, oh, yeah. it, 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 you know, I'm watching this like literally. I have a seven inch monitor alongside my main computer, and it's just you know, it, this movie plays so cinematic, which is like, I mean, I guess we really shouldn't consider it a direct to video movie because it did play theatrically. But this was one of the ones where like I, I read about it forever in Fangoria, and. Uh, you know, it just never came out, never came out. Eventually, it was on video. Um, did you ever see this just like at the video store or anything when you were a kid? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, some, that's 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 what surprises me that I only caught up to it now. Like, because it was definitely like kind of a perennial thing sitting in the video store. And for some reason, I just never checked it out. Now, he, now here we have, uh, I guess his name is, uh, oh, his name is the movie is actually Flavio, the guy who's the bully in the chocolate war. He's kind of doing like a legit like almost death wish style like pre-rape here feeling the girl over her clothes tearing her shirt like like how far how how uh, excuse me how far do you think he was only good because i think that was meant to be a legit rape attempt right there oh yeah i mean i don't think i just prefer the kind of movie it is i don't think we're supposed to insinuate he was just kind of fooling around or anything right but. it just seems so crazy to me that he would you know attempt because everybody kind of makes fun of this girl you know, in a way, and they kind of like nobody wants to touch her with the ten foot pole because she's the principal's daughter and all that. You know. Now we really need to talk about the motive. This is the first kind of real scene of Malcolm McDowell. Is he kind of he kind of gives him um, a slap on the wrist, but wrist, but he really warns uh, Cody uh, Bradley Gray here that like, hey, no fighting. Like your parole says, no infraction. And he, he's just like, he's trying to say like, you know that you know that kid with that boy is going to rape your daughter, and he's like. Didn't you, how, why didn't you find a teacher? It's like, aren't you, like, why would you leave the area where rape is, like, in progress to find a teacher? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> but, yeah, and here here we kind of, you know, is where now we're starting to get, this is, like, our dose of uh, Patrick Kilpatrick, who plays the uh, gym teacher. Um, he's a very intimidating figure. Uh, yeah, he's the phys- like the physical heavy of the androids. Yeah, and I mean, for people who don't know uh, Patrick Kilpatrick, he he was in a ton of action movies in the '90s. I think probably his biggest role that I can think of that really featured him most was he was the main villain in the um, 
the Jean-Claude Van Damme movie, I think it was Death Warrant was the one, where they're, it's like the prison movie. He plays like this psycho killer in the prison. Now, I thought this was funny. Here, here we see he cuts to, the you know, they're in gym class later, and um, Patrick Kilpatrick is, uh, he's really bullying and slapping around this kid. He's like trying to get him to do 200 push-ups, which for anybody, 200 push-ups is like really hard to do. And um, I thought it was interesting that that kid, he he kind of, he wasn't really like a feminine looking guy at all, but he, he kind of had like this Boy George like clipping uh, ponytail. Did you think that was an interesting style choice? For I don't know if I've ever like really noticed that it was like a clip in. I just I've always, I definitely always like noticed how like just odd his hair looks. Yeah, because you know. he's, def- right. he's definitely got kind of like a spiky almost mohawk on the top, and then the back is like this really long kind of dry hair. So yeah, now now this is I'd say this is really where you know because kind of a you know they kind of allude to it, and like Stacy Keach really doesn't care because he's just he's looking at all this almost like a big science experiment. I think this is the point where we're supposed to believe that, you know, it's not just that the the Android teachers are just doing what they're programmed to do. They they got a very sophisticated artificial intelligence. So like it seems like Stacy Keach, even when they start going off the rails, he he wants to see like what just out of curiosity, like what they'll do, what they'll adapt. And I think this is the first point when you say where things really start to get off the rail because like the gym teacher starts beating Bradley like, like literally for all purposes. I. It's like he's going to beat him to death. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it's interesting that he like just has this like instantaneous hate for Cody as well. That yeah. just kind of comes out of apparently just because Malcolm McDowell like kind of let him off easy. Right. But it's strange that there's no element of him like running out to that scene and realizing like, oh yeah, maybe I should hate the rapist more. You know? Well, yeah, that's what I was about to say because that's the thing is like these these androids, it's like they're designed for combat or aggression or whatever, but they they really don't have a, like a moral sense of justice because you like if I would have wrote this movie, like I would instead of going after Cody, I would have had the scene where the gym teacher found the the rapist kid and actually killed him. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But yeah, in here the the guy with the the kind of boy george ponytail he 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 gets all hot they have like this fake drug in this movie what's it called like nuke or scratch or something like that uh, well i think you're thinking it's nuke because that's the one in robocop 2 which oh, it kind right, of looks right. like yeah but, yeah but it's like a vial that they snort so everybody you know, everybody gets high off it but the kid snorts it and he comes out with a gun and he really wasn't trying to like i don't think he was going to do anything but it's really just he was just trying to threaten the teacher so he would stop beating up cody who like literally passes out and yeah, Patrick Kilpatrick just snaps this kid's neck. Mm-hmm. I like how the now we're back in the control room, and I like how the the kid's like dead body is just on every monitor back yeah. there, and everybody's shocked. And uh, this 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 one guy, um, kind of short, uh, shaved head guy with with the glasses. I'm blanking on his name again, but but this guy, uh, a couple episodes back, we talked about him. He was in the movie Tapeheads, playing security guard. And he would go on to be one of the more comedic pirates in the Pirates of the Caribbean series, like featured a lot. So it's kind of he also funny. plays the Eternal Flame and Freaked. Does he? It's been so long since I've seen Freaked. I don't think. Now I've what's seen... up with this? What's up with this outfit that Tracy Lynn is wearing? Yeah, what is it like? What would you call the thing she has on her head? It's I mean, I... It's, it's not a turban, but it's it's kind it's of like... very turban esque. And yeah. also, I, I feel like what's other because we were just talking about how she's one of the few characters that changes outfits, but I'm pretty sure this is like the same day as like her attempted rape earlier and she's yeah. in a different outfit like suddenly yeah and I don't know are, if that's just an editing snafu that put that scene in the wrong spot in the movie or or yeah. they just don't care probably 
Yeah, I don't know. Maybe just there was some stuff. Well, yeah, because Cody has all the cuts and shit from when the, te- the teacher beat mm-hmm. him up. And I like how like you you witness your friend killed by a teacher, and you still gotta like go to your next class or whatever. Well, this is weird too because now the buddy comes and like this is where like the continuity does kind of get iffy because he shows up and he's covered in blood and we're like okay yeah we saw him beat up the previous day right. but this all these wounds look very fresh on him yeah like, yeah they're not they, e- they haven't scabbed over or anything like yeah they're not even like bruises at this point they are like fresh cuts. I mean, the only thing I can think of is just maybe he just got so high that he didn't even clean his wounds or nothing, you know. But it probably just is just kind of bad makeup or something. And here the history teacher, uh, John Ryan, he, he, he notices, um, you know, how on drugs this kid is and you know, coming up with the appropriate response. And I, th- I think this definitely isn't... Because he's really not... Like, I mean, he's disrupting the class, but he's not really a threat that much to anyone. He's in such... Oh, yeah, he puked on the floor, so now that means death sentence. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's funny, too, that, like... Because here, John Ryan, he, he, he takes him outside, and uh, he goes into his locker, gets the rest of his drugs, and he shows all these vials down his throats and stuff. I can't believe that, like, nobody at, at this, like at all believed, um, you know, what Bradley Gregg knew, that the, the teacher murdered him, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. nobody really believed him at all, ever, throughout the movie. I like that effect, his hand going through the locker. It's yeah, like, cool straight little... through it. I guess these would be more like whippets or something, because <laughs> like, they have those like little like like nozzles, like how some people would do whippets with tubes and shit. I do like like just the like you said the way the personality of the robots, like the glee that yeah. Harden is clearly taking and in, in murdering this kid. Like, he's just so happy about it. Yeah, yeah. Finally, the kid pulls out um, a switchblade, but it's just way too late. He can't do nothing with it. Actually, that that was a good piece of editing, or like kind of how they cut from just the shit being in his mouth. All of a sudden, next shot, he's foaming like blood out of his mouth. Yeah, he's doing like the 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 uh, traditional trauma meltdown, you know. Right. So right. they're just putting a bunch of Alka Seltzer in his mouth, and yeah, I would really if if people haven't seen this movie yet, I would really recommend this. I think to people who like really like um, the class of Nukem High series. Oh yeah, this movie has like a very trauma feel to it, but kind of like a, a classier trauma. Bigger somewhat. budget, yeah. 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 And I don't know about you, Trey, but I've always read that like the budget of this was pretty high, like over ten million. I've re- I've read er- I think everything in between ten and fourteen million, which I would kind of hard to believe that much but then again there is a lot of physical shit that goes on especially towards the climax of this movie yeah a lot of costumes a lot of you know sets and oh here we get the banana scene uh stacy keach menacingly eating a banana (laughs) i know i always thought it was interesting too because they're in the principal's office and like like talk about like you know because they were trying to make this movie futuristic there is a huge like it's like a console electronic console of the diagram of the school in the corner of uh malcolm mcdowell's office i thought it was funny they would have that instead of just having like the the big electronic thing instead of just having a map on the wall (laughs) i do like the the movie makes clear its own sense of humor here to where you know the the teachers now are telling the principal like well he clearly died of a drug overdose and and malcolm mcdowell just says like well that paul you know that 
broke his jaw and pulverized his skull. And yeah. Harden, Harden is like, well, the effects of habitual drug use are disturbing. You know. <laughs> <I> know. <laughs> yeah, and there's something about it. It's like, I don't know, like, I wish we, I mean, I guess we have a whole movie of it, but like, I just wish we could see like these three robot characters together more because there's something about it, like we said, that's interesting about seeing robots actually interact and have a personality and whatnot. Yeah, so Malcolm McDowell isn't in charge of shit anymore. We've established. <laughs> and here, here we have. Um, we also got to point out Bradley Gregg also wears like a belt, very fitting of Slash from Guns N' Roses, and so, <laughs> like just a di- giant like multi row kind of legging pants. And I don't know how clear this is on your DVD, but on the Blu-ray, you can start like kind of get a sense that uh, his pants actually what they are is they say "war" with a question mark all over them. Really? Yeah. 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 I can't make that out on the DVD. The DVD. First of all, let's let's talk about the DVD side of this and why. I, if I was just recommending this movie to viewers, I would say go ahead and pick up the the Vestron. I actually bought this movie twice on DVD, and I looked, and um, it was for the same price. It was like they had a multi pack, and there were some good movies on the on the rest of the multi pack. So I bought the multi pack version, DVD version first, and the movie was. Um, this movie, Class of 1990, it was on in there in a, in a, like a full frame, like, like laser disc rip that looked god awful. So I was like, man, I just wasted whatever it was, seven, eight bucks. So then I went and for like another 10 bucks, I bought, get the standalone DVD. It's bare bones. It doesn't have anything, but it, it's a 16 by nine, uh, you know, and it actually looks very good for a DVD. Now, it's not going to look mm-hmm. any, anywhere near what I'm sure the Blu-ray looks like. And I really want to get the Blu-ray soon. But stay away from If you want this movie, stay away from that multi-pack. I think also Choppy Mall was in that multi-pack. Stay away from that shit. Get, the, get these Vestron Blu-rays if you can afford them. Yeah, the Blu-ray looks great. Yeah. Now, what do you think of this? It's definitely an exposition dump. But now Malcolm McDowell and Stacy Keats Albino are having like a fancy dinner in a restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> Stacy Keach just did drinking milk out of a yeah. wine glass, which again, it. it and that's another reason good... I thought he was an android. Like he never seems to be doing anything real. You know what I mean? Well, I think it's like because you talked earlier about you know you, you facetiously or not talking about like you know a, a note to young writers. I think this is a good note to like filmmakers who want to make like kind of just weird, interesting movies like this. If you have a character that on paper, because really there's not much interesting about Stacy Keach's character on paper, right? And I think the combination of what Keach came up with and like what Lester likes to do is. You take that character and suddenly just by giving him, you know, white contact lenses and a strange albino haircut and then like having him drink milk and or eat that banana, he suddenly becomes just a much more interesting character, even though he's not technically doing anything interesting. He's a fairly stock villain. Right. But I remember that he drinks milk at this fancy dinner or, or that he eats that banana like it just makes him memorable. Which, by the way, I need to point this out. Stacy Keach playing an albino completely shock white flat top wig um you know completely white eyes almost zombie looking contact lenses very drinking pure white milk at this dinner but a completely black as night dyed mustache yeah and eyebrows (laughs) and eyebrows (laughs) 
Maybe they tried the other way and thought he looked too much like, uh, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever seen that, uh, that movie Nightmare at Noon? Mm, I don't think so. Okay, because, like, Brian Johnson plays the is the villain in that, and he, he, he goes full albino. And so, yeah. I don't know, I feel like, man, back in the 80s, there was just, like, albinos were feared in America or something. Great know? mistress. If you're an albino listener and you're sick of this shit, you know. I know there was a... Hey, we didn't say, we're just, we're just reporting on the movie. We yeah, we're saying, we're, you know, speak up, send a letter to Mark L. Lester. <laughs> Which, speaking of it, here here we have, this kind of mirrors the a little bit the gang club scene in the, in the first movie, but not yeah. much. It, it's really more about their jumping the little brother. I guess we should say the little brother is, uh, what's his name, Joshua Johnson? Joshua Miller. Yeah, Joshua Johnson Miller or whatever. Um I always knew him as Joshua Miller, but his IMDb has him as a three-name guy for some reason. Um, he also played the little brother in River's Edge and the little boy vampire near dark, obviously. Mm-hmm. Trying to think. Oh, also, actually, he's in Death Warrant as well with Patrick Kilpatrick. Interesting. Not the best actor in the world, but certainly no. parlayed him, you know, scammed his way into a lot of great films of the 80s. Exactly. I think, I think for whatever reason, he got all these roles because his, his parents were, even though he was a young kid, his parents were always willing to sign the waiver to let him smoke on screen. Have you noticed that? <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm pretty sure he smokes in River's Edge. And he definitely smokes nonstop in this and in uh, Near Dark. But he would go on, you know, he would eventually kind of walk away from the acting side of it. And he's since become, uh, you know, to a lot of genre fans might be known now known as the writer of uh, Final Girls. Yep. Which makes sense that he would stay in the genre. You know, he mm-hmm. kind of came up and he probably had a good time making these movies. Yeah. Now, making these movies, we got we to gotta let it be known. This is what I was getting to earlier about this being a sequel. We have an update. I don't know if you remember this, Trev, but when we did our class of 1984... Uh, episode we I, I even threw out the email address which we never use on this we never get an email i threw out the email address i was begging markel lester to contact i thought for sure he was going to listen to that show <laughs> okay i sent like right after we recorded that show like the next day or something i sent because he's got like a million facebook friends i sent a fen- friend request to markel lester two months later Still waiting to get that approved. Thanks for nothing, Mark L. Lester. Yeah. <laughs> if only he knew how much we love his films, and that's how he exactly. that's how he plays us. And I'll because okay. I for one would love to talk to him about this scene where for some reason they keep drinking out of juice boxes. Exactly. <laughs> Did you distract. notice they do a close up? Almost like it's a um Yeah, it's like product placement yeah, almost. Yeah. Yeah, right here, yeah. Eden soy is what they're drinking. So I'm guessing some type of soy milk or juice box, soy soy juice, I don't know. It's very bizarre. Yeah, they keep you put that shit in the camera, Tracy Lynn. Let us see that. But yeah, Mark L. Lester, come on, man. We're 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 devotees. Within the span of a couple months, we covered two of your films. If you want any more covered, hit that yeah. friend request button. Lord. You want that? You want a commando uh, audio commentary? Yeah, hit us up. Yeah, something. Because you've done a lot of movies that we could cover, and all we need is the inside track, you know, the incentive. But, you know. Everybody's got to make their own choices if that's the way uh, Mark L. Lester wants it. I guess I mean, give us time when we get to the 2010s movie graveyard. You know, yeah. we might do uh, Poseidon Rex even. You know, we could do Poseidon Rex. I mean, why wouldn't we? Mark L. Lester, he, he's trying to keep it. And I'm not going to say this. He's trying to stay himself in, a, I think, an exclusive Hollywood or whatever. I'm not going to throw this out there as like a negative. I'll let 
the viewers might get a sweat, but go to Mark L. Lester's Facebook page. He goes, you know, because he, he is still a man, you know, within the circles of the Hollywood industry. It's not like he's some has-been or whatever, you know, kicked out of the industry. But he goes to all the, um, he goes to all, like, the special Oscar screenings, I guess, where they're trying to get your vote. And, like, he does, like, you know, he'll he'll, he'll take pictures with people of, like, really big celebrities, like, pictures with, like, Margot Robbie and shit, and, like, you you could just always tell his pictures were, like, the, the, the lesser famous person in the picture is, like, smiling big, and the and the, the actual celebrity is kind of like, <laughs> hey, who's this? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, Trey? Yeah, oh, yeah, of course. Okay, now we t- need to talk about this scene, because when, when I was saying before, you know, I kind of like to build up to this movie a lot is uh you know i think it's just entertaining like all the the ideas and shit they introduce is that this is one of the scenes i'm talking about this is what this is actually one of my favorite scenes in the movie they uh through a great piece of exposition that was delivered on the back of a moving dirt bike they reveal that you know uh bradley greg stole the faculty address a book which, which is also a plot point from class 1984 that is true that that's how they found it but keep in mind these these teachers started there what like two days ago they had to print yeah. a whole new book just because these mother- robot motherfuckers came to the school <laughs> <laughs> so they think it's funny that all the, the the teachers live together so they go and they break into their it's i guess it's kind of like a condo and there's like no furniture no nothing all they do is keep wd-40 in the cabinets <laughs> weird strange canisters everywhere and then they, then Tracy Lynn makes a big deal that um, uh, Pam Greer only wears one bra, which, mm-hmm. you know. Let's talk about really quickly Tracy Lynn because, uh, I mean, she's gorgeous. Sure. She's a likable screen, uh, you know. She's not pre- like Pam pre- Greer, but she she is pretty. Yeah, oh, yeah. Right. No, well, who is, you know. But I, she's another one that, like, I really like her in this. I, I like her in Fright Night Part 2. I like her I in My so. Boyfriend's Back. Yeah. Um, it's it's disappointing that you know she's one of those ones who just you know there's a few like really cool movies and then suddenly just kind of vanishes from the scene. But no. I don't know if she's like I don't I haven't really looked into what she's up to nowadays. I feel like she like she seems to fit that bill of someone who could like make a decent living hitting like conventions every weekend now just from the, she the film she's been a part of. You know. Yeah. Now we should point out the important plot point of you know he found his buddy's bloody crucifix. It was actually just placed in the middle of a stack of papers this bloody crucifix yeah. was that's that's where the robots hide shit but yeah well, like that that insinuates that these robots do come home and sit down and actually grade papers which i, I find interesting I know. well they are supposed to educate and like yeah. he, here we have you know the robots realize their house is broken into and you know they kind of have some glee that they're you know they're going to give chase now and uh, I always thought this was great, you know, uh, Pam Greer and the older gentleman, they, they they run down the steps of the car. Patrick Kilpatrick, he just jumps off the balcony, like a, mm-hmm. like about a, probably like a 15-foot drop. It was kind of clearly a stunt, man. I, I rewound Which it. didn't, yeah, it is, but it also doesn't save, like, any time. Like, he gets no. to the car just as quick as they do going down the steps. Exactly. <laughs> and I really like this scene, too. I, I like the, you know, and I have to say, this movie's supposed to be Seattle, and I thought it was going to be like class of 1984 where they actually filmed in Canada. Because it looks very much like British Columbia or wherever they filmed 21 Jump Street, the TV show. But I was surprised to see in the um, the credits it actually really was filmed in Seattle. Yeah, and that's why you can notice a lot of uh, certain scenes. Like earlier when they pulled up to the place, it was clearly raining. Because right. you can't film in Seattle that much and not hit rain. 
I do love this car chase too, because even like you know they they were able to bring in humor into the car chase with the right. the teachers kind of talking about how you know all the different traffic violations that Cody is breaking. And these robots are actually smiling. We should point out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like they get happy whenever they think they're getting ready to you know kill somebody or whatever. Now, do you think the teachers or this area that we're seeing now that it looks too nice? It, it can't, especially where the teachers live. It can't be that um, no police zone or whatever. No, that's that's the thing. Like, I mean, like you said, I don't have like you. I don't have any complaints about the film, but I think one thing it kind of drops the ball on is because like, we, like you said earlier, that's wherever Malcolm McDowell and Stacy Keats were having dinner seemed like a really nice area too, or a really nice restaurant. Yeah. And now we're going through the streets of Seattle, and it doesn't really look that bad. And I, I never really get a sense of like how bad off is America at this point and right. how you know large are these free fire zones and how prevalent is it? I have to say, like I even rewound this scene, this scene last night because I was confused. Okay. The payoff here is Bradley Gray goes under an underpass and then there's a bridge that leads over like the river or whatever. And, uh, they just drive onto it and like Bradley Gregg realizes that, you know, the, like the bridge ends, like it just drops off in the water like, but it wasn't like they busted through a closed bridge sign or not. Like there was nothing blocking mm-hmm. that that scene off. Like even the very end of it, right before it, it drops off, literally the the um, the teachers just drove their car straight off in, into the water. Like, yeah, they don't they don't even seem to try to break or anything. They just make like no. a, they just have a little joke where they just look at it like, oh, and then Patrick Kilpatrick's like, I hate water, and then they right. just and they go just right fly off. right off. He, if anything, it looked like he accelerated. <laughs> I was always in, I was interested in this scene too, because he like after he like he, that was a good stunt too. Like whoever Bradley Greg's stunt double was, it was a pretty convincing stunt double. It wasn't like all of a sudden it was like a completely different guy. Like he skidded off the bike, he did a good slide, and then you know he stops home on his way after almost dying to buy some comic books for his little brother. He's drinking beer. Yeah, uh, the, that's what the brand even says on the label. Just beer. Is it beer? Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of funny here, too, because Joshua Miller, he's actually wearing the kind of, um, he's wearing yellow and purple, which kind of matches one of of the posters for Class of 1984. I wonder if that was like an intentional callback somehow. I like this. I like them just kind of wading out of the water. Just seem flustered. Yeah, and I have to say, like, you know, obviously it was stunt people, or maybe there was just dummies in the car when they flew it off the, the river or whatever, into the river. But I was actually surprised that the actors were seen coming up out of the river like that. I mean, they're all wet. I'm sure they probably didn't really go all the way in the water. They're kind of, like, waist deep. But I was surprised. You could tell the older guy, or really the older guy and Pam Greer, you could tell they really weren't having that. I'm sure they're just fucking freezing or something. <laughs> Like a angel's like uh, earring that's just like a little like little piece of a computer or something hanging yeah, from his ear. Yeah, it's like a computer, like a microchip or something, mm-hmm. or a circuit board or something. Yeah. Yeah, I have to say, like, I mean, obviously they're they're kind of outlandish and stylish, but I think the gang fashions, like, you know, because the, the razor heads really just are more like a typical uh, slick back hair uh, leather jacket type of gang. 
and and the uh, the Blackhearts, which is the gang these these guys are a part of. They're more of a stylized kind of, you know, half Clockwork Orange meets Prince type of, you know. Like, I feel like the fashions, they, they really don't date, you know, too poorly in this. Now, this is the one where the teachers just really seem to be having a ball, like, yeah. murdering somebody. Like, they're, like, especially, like, Mr. Harden is just, like, laughing it up here. Yeah, they pull alongside his little brother. And, you know, they even say that, you know, when they get out of the, the river, they're like, we have to recreation, you know, requisition a new vehicle. I think it's, like, the exact same type yeah, of car. Like yeah. I have to say, this was a good menace scene. And, um, but you know what? Like, like I've been meaning to bring this up. I mean, obviously, the robots are, like, you know, very, you know, for minor infractions, they, they were, like, killing kids and whatever. But, like, do you think if you introduced them into, like, I was so curious, like, what would happen if you introduced them into an environment where the kids were actually good and wanted to learn? I, I wonder if they still would slip. Like, were the robots, because they're supposed to be in great stunt. Oh, that's a good stunt, yeah. Yeah, they, th they th well, not the kid, but they threw somebody, like, literally 20 feet against the side of a, bar you know, barn or house or whatever it was. But, Trev, do you think the, the robots could have maintained being peaceful teachers if they would have been put in a real school, you know, a good school or whatever? No, I think you're right in that they probably would have found a reason to, like, punish people, because as we'll learn later, like... I, I, the movie treats it like it's a twist, but I don't think it matters enough to be a twist. But it turns out that they're actually former military robots who have right. been kind of reprogrammed for this. Yeah. Um, so I think like they would have went awry no matter what. But, yeah, that was kind of um, the concept um, of a movie that came out a few years later called Evolver, which was about a, a little kind of like R2-D2, really more like a choppy mall robot-sized robot that was... You know, introduce as oh, this is a kid's toy, but it turned out it was previously the AI was developed for the military, and the the mm -hmm. robot just couldn't shake the the you know the violent programming or whatever. Because I have to say, if like Pam Greer walked into my high school class or whatever, like I like I pretty much just would do whatever she said. Oh God, I've never had a teacher that hot. Are you kidding me? Ridiculous. Yeah. I love Pam Greer. I mean, I know like I we could just have to do a Pam Greer love fest, but I mean, and she's great because like you know you buy her as a villain, you buy her as a hero. Um, it's it's she's one of those ones that it seems weird to say because everybody knows who Pam Greer is and she had a great career, but oddly enough, it still feels like she was never utilized as much as she should have been. Right, I agree. And you know, it, it's really kind of uh, like when I see her in like really like almost like bit parts or supporting parts. And something like, um, you know, like, uh, you know, what's the Disney, the Disney movie? Uh, I'm, I'm fucking up the name right now. Something Wicked This Way Comes. Oh, yeah. Something Wicked This Way Comes, yeah. Like, you see her and okay, that's like a big studio movie. And then, like, that's back when studio movies, you know, directors could kind of pull a fast one and cast some interesting people here and there. But, like, you see her in something like that. And, she, I mean, granted, she doesn't have much to do. She just plays a, a supporting kind of fantasy whatever character so you know she doesn't have a whole lot but like you see her in like a movie like that and you just realize like she could have been in so many big i mean even after jackie brown for pete's sake like she should have done so much more you know what i mean mm -hmm. so we just passed the scene where they uh you know cody uh, drives up as is the, the rest of the gang is finding angel dead 
And uh, I just want to point out again, this is maybe something that's more clear on the Blu-ray than it is on the DVD. But that's supposed to be like the rest of the gang, the high school gang, you know, all crowded around. And if you look in the background, some of the gang members are conservatively 42 years old. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I know, you know, you just kind of deal with the extras you can get. But who oh boy, there's some there's some old people in that gang. Yeah, I, I was going to say, um, I like I almost took it that way. I mean, I mean, obviously, the, there are the, the whatever gang members that you see that are at the school with them and stuff. But I was almost taking like maybe some of the gang members or older ones who had graduated, but they just yeah, just never left. Yeah, they obviously still in the gang life or whatever. I love this. Just okay, so they the robots are have decided to get a war game, as they put it, to basically they feel like they don't have the time to kill all the students they want to kill, so they're going to make the students kill each other. Yeah. So they killed Angel and made it seem like the Razorheads did it. And then they took one of the Razorheads, killed him, and made it seem like the Blackhearts did it, which is Cody's gang. And now they've set up to where these two gangs are going to this area called the War Zone to fight. Which I just think it's funny that they all the gangs have this pre, yeah. you know, pre-designated area for these kind of gang battles. That basically to me just looks like a paintball course. It does, because it, it's got lots of those big wooden spindles and shit. Yeah, like the obstacles they set up to, you know, to seem post-apocalyptic when you play paintball. I know. I have to say, I really, you know, as somebody who likes cool-looking guns and movies, I really like Bradley Griggs' uh, little Mac-10 here, how it's decked out with a scope and it's silver and stuff. It looks cool. It's like this, this whole scene is just fun to me because it's that kind of thing where, like, you know, these two gangs show up and they just start, they just kind of all get in a line and start shooting at each other, and then there's random explosions yeah. going off. and Like, they're they're kind of taking cover, but they're, let's be honest, they're taking cover behind junky yeah. shit that bullets yeah. would rip through instantly <laughs> you know what i mean like like right there these guys are behind like completely open planks you right, know? right yeah like like obviously that's something that you know i think you still see it more in the older movies where the the effects of guns or whatever aren't but like yeah i always thought it was funny like when you see like action movies and like you know, somebody will flip a table over in a restaurant and hide behind it as it as the table takes lots of bullet hits. It's like no, the fucking bullets will fly through a wooden table like nothing. You know what I mean? We do get uh, the we have a, finally a, a costume change for uh, Cody for yeah. the rest of the film, and that now he's wearing Angel's jacket. Yeah, and, uh, which is very more stylized. Yeah, I, I like how that guy gets the you know Kilpatrick takes the like this the stock of the the rifle. And like, kind of chokes him with it, but you can clearly mm-hmm. see it see it just bending all around the guy's neck. Yeah, yeah. Which might have been a bit of a mistake, but it actually works for the yeah. scene because it makes it seem like almost like he's even more super heroic, you know? Yeah. I have to say, I really like this scene. Like, like as far as like what the gang members are doing, it, it's kind of obviously staged, wouldn't you say? Mm-hmm. But then when when the um, the the robot teachers kind of get involved and start taking them out one by one like, like it's pretty cool no i think it's interesting because like it doesn't seem out of place to watch patrick kilpatrick or pam greer running around machine guns no. blowing people away but there's something very interesting about watching john p ryan this like this old kind of gentle looking man and a yeah. you know a nice uh you know professor jacket uh running or sneaking around killing gang members in a war zone yeah i love how kilpatrick just snuck up on like three or four gang members and just shot them all in the back he don't give a shit <laughs> you know I mean? no. now earlier he said he hates water but here he just yeah, dives right he in. dives right in yeah. 
Which, I don't even, well, I, unless they're programmed to, like, not take damage to their skin to reveal that they're robots. Like, yeah, I don't even think he, he would have jumped away from that explosion like that. But, yeah, it did look cool. He's got to protect those one million megabytes, as he said earlier. Yeah, I was going to say, and I was trying to figure that out. Would one million megabytes, what would that be? First of all, it doesn't sound like a lot. No. Wouldn't that, <laughs> be, also, like, wouldn't that be like a gigabyte or something? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not a lot. And then also, there's no context given for what it even means by that. We're, we're no. actually hearkening back to, like, way back to the very first scene of the film when uh, they first reveal their robots. He pulls, he peels his skin off on his face, right. and it's actually a really cool effect. They, like, show it, it like, he grabs his mouth and opens it up, and you see the... And the, the the robot face underneath, and Malcolm McDowell's fascinated. And it winks. And he just goes, Did you notice yeah, the winks. robot? Face yeah, winks, winks. <laughs> and then he, and then he says one million megabytes, and that's it. And you're just like, yeah. oh, okay, of whatever what? that means. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I have to say, they they really, uh, for people who haven't seen this movie, I think like almost exactly the robots in terms of like you know when he peeled his face off and what they look like underneath. They look exactly like the evil uh, Bill and Ted from Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Yeah, because yeah, do. doesn't the evil uh, uh, Bill pull his face off like that to like show somebody he's a robot mm-hmm. and like the underneath robot? Which I mean, obviously, both those movies, the cyborgs are very, you know, let's be honest, heavily influenced by the Terminator. But but the, but in particular, they all looked almost exactly the same. You know, I was I was thinking too. I mean, obviously, I love the trio of teachers, but I was wondering too how when I was watching this last night, how this movie would play if, if say, there was only one robot teacher that was introduced. How it would play? It probably would play a lot closer to the original, but it, you know, in terms of like the one teacher versus the gang or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's interesting because like Lester talks in the oh wait we should probably wait because pretty soon we're going to get one of the the film's better standout effects yeah we really got to yeah. talk about this because it works very well yeah so um bradley greg and his friend have gone in this like little mini warehouse thing to try to take on hector and uh there it is yeah, yeah and john p ryan's in there to, and he actually reaches through the wall pulls bradley greg's friend through and he kind of like bends in half backwards. Yeah, breaks in half. Yeah, and then we see he's actually been torn in half. Right. Now the same, pretty much the same kind of visual effect was used in um, Chuck Russell's The Blob as well. But yeah, yeah. I was it's awesome, say. and it's awesome in both. So yeah, and it really works. And obviously, it's probably they cut to the guys halfway in the hole, and yeah. he has mannequin legs. I would imagine coming out the back. But I thought that was a great little reveal, like just the shot of how Bradley Gregg looks in the room and sees his friend ripped in half. And John Ryan is kind of just standing there with his hands in his pocket, all kind of teacherly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought it was like actually chilling. And I didn't know, Trev, maybe you know, because I don't have any special features here. What's the deal with John P. Ryan's uh, eyes? Because they look like overly blue. It was those contact lenses. They don't say anything about it, so I'm led. I mean, maybe he just ha- really has those kind of piercing blue eyes. You know, yeah. some people do. Frank Sinatra. That's true. Old blue eyes. Yeah. yeah. It could just be the way you light it too, and everything. You know. Yeah. Because but... you definitely notice it in some shots more than others. So. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have blue eyes, and I'm not. I'm, I I can't pretend to, that mine are that striking. You're right. I wish. Yeah, I have like I have much like lighter blue eyes. 
Maybe if I had eyes that blue, I would uh, go as Mr. Harden for Halloween. I have okay. contemplated going, uh, actually showed this movie to a friend, and we got to talking about playing, uh, doing characters for Halloween, and I thought about being Cody Culp for Halloween. <laughs> really? Uh, getting, getting, all this, getting all this stuff, seeing if I can yeah. track down these items. Yeah. I, I mean, I've been losing weight, and I don't know if I'm ready yet to wear uh, those leggings necessarily. Yeah, he did, before the era of skinny jeans, Cody yeah, Culp he's, had, he's, had, he's, he's rocking it. He had the tights game on lock. Mm-hmm. Which I always, because I mean, I don't, I, I literally wear shorts every day. I don't all year round because I live in California. But I don't understand how guys wear those tight ass pants and don't like sweat all the time in them. You know what I mean? Like, you think just the ass sweat would be ridiculous with skinny jeans, but I don't know. Now, what did you think? Because at this point, I mean, Cody Culp is like, he's seen teachers rip kids in half and all this shit, and Tracy Lynn still, like, doesn't believe him and all this. Like, he never really, he never really comes out and says to the people, like, what he's witnessed in terms of them being robots, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's it's odd because I, there's no well. One of my favorite scenes is coming up in a bit when the moment where the other students actually or the other gang members are convinced that it's the teachers. I think the way that happens is just so funny. Yeah, but it, it is weird that nobody believes him just because what he's saying seems to be so clearly be the case. Right. You know, like like you said, the evidence is fairly damning. You know, against these teachers. Exactly. Um, but yeah, also like you said, he never just kind of. It's that kind of thing where he always says, like, no, you got to take my word for it. The teachers are killing students. But he doesn't say, like, hey, I saw Mr. Harden rip my friend in half, you know. Exactly. Now, here you have Stacey Keach going on about, you know, like, basically, he, he he's, like, saying that, you know, he's kind of let all this shit go on because it's been a test to actually get this shit you know, put into the military, and, and now that the military's seeing what the robots can do, you know, they got a huge contract and all this shit, so he basically just used the school as the testing ground just to show how deadly these things could be. So, basically now they have to kill, you know, Malcolm McDowell, because, you know, he's a goody two-shoot, and he, he would tell and stuff. I have to say, even though he was like, Clearly, this was like he was probably on set for what two and a half days or something. Yeah, I have that. Yeah, I have. I have to say, I was dis. You know, I was disappointed. I, I would have liked, in a way, to see McDowell actually kind of survive the picture and beat it because this movie's very grim. But pretty much everybody fucking dies. Like, you know, just come out and say it. It's a pretty gruesome death, though. Like, uh, Patrick Kilpatrick grabs him by the throat and raises him up in the air. And the Blu-ray, you can actually see the fishing line that's kind of lifting him up. Really? Uh, oops, but. Then they de drops him, and you actually see that the finger, like Patrick Patrick's fingers, have gone into his throat, and he's got like four little finger holes that blood start like pouring out of. Right. I thought that was a nice touch on the makeup side. Here we actually have uh, an early movie appearance uh, of Nine Inch Nails on the soundtrack. That's right. Had like a hole playing in the background. Yeah, and obviously Nine Inch Nails actually weren't even popular yet when they made this uh, movie. But yeah, and also so Mark Lester is very proud of himself on the on the Blu-ray for talking about how because he went to some club looking for music to have in the film and saw Nine Inch Nails play, and asked them if they could if he could use some of their stuff in the movie. And I guess they he, they gave him the rights really cheap because they just were excited about it, you know exposure of any kind at that point. Yeah, and there's like another big '80s person. I think how how you say his name is Midger or whatever. 
Like, he does the sing. There actually is a theme song. You don't even hear it till the credits. But, like, he's a pretty well-known musician in the 80s. He did, he did a song. There was a great line there. Hector, you know, was talking about, you know, because they get the phone call. You <laughs> know, know what to say, yeah. Yeah, Cody telling them to meet him at the school. And then the, the, one, the one bully is like, is like, oh, do you really trust him? And he says, yeah, I trust him. Like a vampire giving me a blowjob. <laughs> <laughs> this is weird too. This like the, the logic of this scene doesn't really track. So now Pam Greer has come to Tracy Lynn's house, and she's yeah. she's forcing her to call Cody and right. you know trick him into going somewhere. But then we'll but then we'll find out that Pam Greer can like impersonate any voice she right. wants to. So she didn't really need Tracy Lynn. She could have just done this herself. But well, the thing it seems like to me is like. And this is like a bit of bizarre, whatever, because you think androids, whatever, this sophisticated. Uh, it, it was like it was like she needed Tracy Lynn because she didn't know the phone number. I think is the logic yeah. they were playing. And then yeah, Pam Greer. It's kind of like she the does thing, like Hexter's voice. Yeah, yeah kind of how Schwarzenegger did it. You know, at the Terminator, he did Linda Hamilton. Now, this is the part I'm talking about. This every time I this made me and like, I actually watched this with Don May Jr. of Synapse Films, and really? we both we both cracked up at this. And then every friend I've shown it to since, we all laugh at this. So like at this point, the gang has just completely not believed Cody about the teachers killing people. They just can't. Yeah, not they at just all. won't accept it. And then here he says, well, Hector just called and said that he's got, you know, my girlfriend and he wants to meet at the school. And then he says, wait a minute. Why would Hector want to go to school at night when we're not supposed to be there? And suddenly the whole gang's like, oh, my God, it's the teachers. I know. And that's it. They're just instantly convinced because only teachers would go to a school, you know? Yeah. It's like it's really bad writing, but it's the kind of bad writing that just has to it, it just makes you laugh and you have to love it. Yeah. Now here we see all the lab technicians. There's a guy from Pirates of the Caribbean. Everybody's just like all wasted, like you know. And I guess I'm assuming this is this is like you know how Stacy Keats uses school as the the testing ground. I guess they have to kill the technicians, you know, as a you know, conspiracy cover up. Mm-hmm. Just out of curiosity, uh, what was you know Don? Was Don already a fan of this movie or? Uh, he was, but he kind of had the same thing where he, he knew, he, he knew that he liked the film, but he hadn't watched it in years and then, right. uh, was pleasantly surprised at how entertaining it was like, uh, in a, on a revisit, you know, yeah, we were both really blown away by it. Yeah. He, he, here we have the showdown between Cody and Hector and it's pretty much what you think. Guys are one-on-one and then suddenly all the, the gang members pull their giant vehicles out of the bushes where no one could see them. Hiding. Yeah. <laughs> and then I like how he just assumes that like Cody would have like not had his gang behind him as well, you know. Yeah. It's very funny. But again, it's like, you know, it's all this, oh, we got you now, you showed up by yourself. But again, it's just going back to that weird thing of, you know, at the beginning of the movie, like like literally Hector was in this crash. He was in a pickup truck that flipped over three times. His head got busted open, and he was still he wasn't late for school an hour later. You know what I mean? <laughs> and and on top of that, he wasn't going after Cody in school. But you know, now he wants to kill him. Yeah, I like this. This is like a a, a cliche of the time too, or a cliche of these kind of films. But it always works for me. Like the you know we've been led to like for a while. You know, you look at Hector as like the villain of the film because he's the guy up against cody and then i i I do like as cheesy it is the idea that now they kind of team up right and and kind of you know it happens very instantaneously and the again the the evidence that cody offers he just kind of he pulls out the crucifix and says like 
you know, this was, uh, you know, my friend's crucifix. He never would have given it up. And that just convinces them for some reason he must be telling the truth. You're right. I don't I don't know that that tracks at all, <laughs> but. Well, I like that he's like, he never would have given him up, but it's just like, well, you could have just taken it off his dead body. It doesn't yeah, really exactly. prove anything, you know. But I took it more like maybe like Hector just wants to believe it because like he, you know, and there's an excuse to just go blow up the school and kill teachers, which seems fun. Right. Which, by the way, Hector's right-hand man who was going to rape Tracy Lynn, he's, at this point in the story, he's still alive. He hasn't mm-hmm. been punished for his crime. There, apparently, there's no Ill, Ill feelings towards <laughs> Yeah, no, now he's going in to save, help save Tracy Lynn. Exactly. Just very, you know, and I was, like, it's kind of funny, too, because it, it took Bradley Gregg, like, where, where are we at now in the runtime? We are... About 72 minutes in. It took Bradley Gregg till now to convince everyone that these teachers were bad. Whereas, like, the the punks in class of 1984, they didn't need any convincing to go after a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like they, they raped the teacher's wife for no reason at all, really. Oh, that's what I was going to say earlier, because uh, Mark Lester has said that he does have, like, a third installment of this trilogy yeah, kind of, like, about that. ready to go. And it just makes me wonder, because, you know, he talks about how, you know, that was very important for him that the first one was about, you know, the teacher being the hero and going up against the gang. And this one subverting it to make the gangs the heroes and the teachers the villains. And I wonder what his idea would be for the, the third one. I think the superintendent's going to be the villain or something. Or? The janitor is going to be the villain. Well, I I know on the class of 1984 Blu-ray in a more recent interview, I think it was, he kept talking about how the new one's got to be in a uh, a private school because a private school is the only place where they could get away with like all this like stuff going. Which I mean, I I don't get that logic going on at all. Yeah. Like, why why a private school would be so corrupt that they would cover up that there was all these crimes going on or whatever? But I mean. And so I like uh, on all the uh, special features for this on the Vestron Blu-ray, Mark Lester keeps like patting himself on the back for how much he kind of, you know, saw this kind of violence coming. And he keeps talking about how he's like, this is, you know, this movie, this is exactly what Chicago is like now, you know, and it's like, man, he's really throwing. I know Chicago is not the best place in the world, but he's really he's really throwing it under the bus consistently (laughs) in his interviews. (laughs) He th- he really th- believes in Chicago that kids are riding their dirt bikes through the classrooms. Yeah. <laughs> like it's a free fire zone where just there it's just c- complete anarchy. Now here we go. Here's the moment where the movie just you know it's already been entertaining, but here we just reach a new level. And I mean, yeah, if I didn't, I mean, I was already liking the movie, but if you don't fall in love with it here, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, they shoot they shoot Pam Greer because she knocked them off their dirt bikes. They light her up with a machine gun, so she takes some quite obvious damage and then we get a little bit of more than meets the eye going on here i just love how she's laughing and she's getting shot too i know activate the s xtx hardware so she rips her chest open because they shot her and stabbed her to just the reveal kind of really just her inner workings there and then you see a nice like uh nipple there like prosthesis there and then her hand no. just melts. Which, by the way, I mix. Don't you miss this, Trevor? In movies when like dummies, wax dummies would melt as a special effect. Yeah. Well, I mean, everything. All the effects we're about to see, I just miss. You know, here yeah. we just have a, like a lesson in great practical effects, and yeah, now she's got a flamethrower arm. 
Yeah, her hand literally melts to reveal that there, you know where her hand used to be is now a flamethrower. She shoots giant flame to burn up some kids on dirt bikes. So, so finally now Hector's seen it, so everybody can vouch what's really going on. Here comes Kilpatrick. He just straight kind of rips half his arm off. Yeah, he doesn't even bother waiting. He's just like, I'm just going for it. Yeah. Like, fuck it. I'm not trying to pass this human. And I think these these outfits, and obviously, like, the real actors would have had to hid their arms in the back of their outfits or whatever. But I think they do a good job of hiding everything. Like, it looks yeah, really good. Yeah. Can't even really tell that they're wearing these giant harnesses or whatever. This is the only area where I would say, like, because you were talking about the budget earlier, and we are talking about how, you know, they, they use the budget really well, and it, you know, the only area where I think maybe it feels like you wish there was a little bit more was all this entire gang is apparently slaughtered in the school, and we really don't see that happen. Like, later on, we kind of see the aftermath where all these bodies are laying around, and I wish there was more sequences that teachers just actually laying waste to these kids. Yeah, I know. Because you kind of you get uh, kills here and there. Here is a great one, though. Yeah. Where uh, the bully from the chocolate war, he rides his dirt bike into a classroom. And basically, he's he's standing on his dirt bike next to a window. Kilpatrick shoots a rocket out of his arm, which blows him up. And then he's just, you really see the motorcycle just blow, you know, from inside the school, blows through the window, lands outside all fiery and shit. Very cool special effect. I thought, I thought that little scene there and how them shots cut together was kind of the best edited stuff in the film. I guess this part right here with Bradley Gregg is a little re reminiscent of um, the first film where Perry King was running through the dark hallways trying to catch the punks and stuff. Like one-on-one -on -one here. Kind of has that atmospheric vibe to it. I guess I don't know how else you end a movie that is about, you know, anarchy to school than, you know, a final conversation at the school. Yeah. It's kind of natural that they would both end this way, but here we got the typical damsel in distress and uh, just kind of locked up in this giant equipment cage, I guess. Yeah, I like I like that Bradley Gregg has to like shoot this cage to get Tracy Lynn out, and he says, "Hide your face." <laughs> I don't know why I found that line. Which, which she just turns away slightly. Exactly. trying to think i don't think bradley Gregg and tracy land ever even kissed in this movie so it's pretty chaste for if this is more exploitive they probably would have had a sex scene i think mm. now talk about your your boy john p ryan here <laughs> oh he's so great so he just comes out and like he's just instantly like, he's just like going for it now like there's no semblance of he's just yelling come on let's go and like it's going for it. and then like you said he just instantly unveils his weapon which i actually think his weapon seems kind of mildly disappointing <laughs> i gotta After, admit yeah you know a flamethrower arm and a gatling gun arm he's just kind of got this like pincher claw although the effect we get here with it is pretty sweet in the moment with how he dispatches of uh you know like the the kind of who's been kind of always the number two razor head kind of character yeah um to me it has like the kind of actually the most distinctive costume in the film that kind of all purple and that the hat the bowler hat 
He definitely has the most clockwork orangey look to him, I think. Yeah, he does. I was thinking that too. But so, yeah, we get so like a, a drill to the the head here, which is very phantasm esque, obviously. Yeah, I was gonna say the drilling reminded me a lot of phantasm. Yeah. I love that gleeful look that uh Ryan John P. Ryan has as he drills into his head and his face gets splattered with some blood and shit. And here comes another just I think great effect. The the dispatching of John P. Ryan is is pretty fantastic, I think. Yeah, he gets on top of Bradley Gregg kind of gets some pinned down is ready to drill him too uh, greg is able to get a hold of his machine gun he sticks the barrel straight into uh, oh, that's great. his mouth and let's go and just like you literally see everything right the yeah. head being shot apart everything and you know like i mean obviously the practical effects are great in this movie but you know the parts where they're like puppets or puppet heads like it even sells well because they're supposed to be robots you like i buy it mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah by the way, a nice moment of sentimentality from Cody. He picks up his friend's hat and puts it on his dead body. Yeah, uh, that's funny. Now here they discover the, the body of Malcolm McDowell. Cody does not allow her to grieve. No, he's just like, come on. I guess it's, we'll come back. Yeah, Pam, Pam Greer. I mean, she's got this whole kind of get up going on with this chest that's ripped open and stuff. But yeah, I thought I thought Pam Greer, you know, made a good menacing villain here. I thought you were about to say she still looks hot. Well, yeah, I was actually thinking, cause especially because she has like that fake uh, exposed nipple, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Which actually, I mean, the, the, I'm telling you, the effects are good in this. I mean, everything looks good to me. Yeah. Really, really kind of surprised the robotics, how in-depth they are. I think we only get one shot coming up. Well, it's later, but there's one shot coming up where it's a like a kind of like a stop motion green screen shot. But other than that, it looks like everything was pretty practical with either the the actors with harnesses and you know fake arms or just mm-hmm. like straight up you know huge animatronic puppets. No, I'm not sure how. If you look at the layout of this room, I'm not sure how Pam Greer didn't instantly notice them when she walked in. But right. oh well. To be fair, she she did. Uh, you know, she's probably been shot a hundred times by a hundred bullets at this point. Now, there's these signs up all over the school, and they say things like, you know, like, keep your school clean and things. And there's one that says, whack keeps your school a safe place to learn. I saw it, and it's not even like the word I, whack has, like, dots in it. Like, it's a... Yeah, you know, that's what I... I'm, like, confused. I'm like, is that... Was that, like, some program that was going on at the time that we don't remember? that, Or maybe it was only in, like, Washington or... Yeah, I have no idea what that means. I have no idea. Yeah. Like, like, kind of like dare to keep kids off drugs or something. It's like, the other thing I wonder was there like an initial draft of this film or something where like whack was something that was in the movie but got cut and we just don't know what it you know references. But right. now, I thought this was like interesting because like they showed it on a shot before that Pam Grier had these canisters in her chest that were supposedly flammable. But then they they turn on like all the gas, like all the Bunsen burners in the class. So he throws an axe and hits her in one of her canisters. So some gas shoots out. But then she shoots the flamethrower, which makes all the, you know, the gas in the room explode. Anyway, I guess I guess just the shit that was in her chest shooting out was just supposed to make it extra big explosion or whatnot. Yeah. I mean, I remember being in, I remember in chemistry class turning those things on in the room that would like, you know, and then lighting them up. And I was thinking about that, about like, wow, it's really weird how much like gas we're like pouring into the room right now. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, after it all blew up, because um, because 
I don't know if it's just the sound mix. Maybe it's better on the on the Blu-ray, but I, like it was kind of garbled what uh, Bradley Gregg was saying, or just the way he pronounced it. I thought he was saying something other than it was. So I had to put the subtitles on last night. And he says, "Well, I guess I blew that course." And like to yeah. me, that was like the worst. One. That was probably the worst <laughs> single moment it's, of the movie. It is really clear on the Blu-ray. Um, yeah. So thankfully, your that favorite line of yours is very clear. Yes. So. <laughs> I don't know. I think I I kind of feel like all his one-liners are pretty groan-worthy, but I don't yeah. know. I, I'm a I'm a fan of groan-worthy one-liners uh, in action movies. Yeah, I mean it's different when like Arnold saying it or something, but I don't know. You know what's funny though is um, I don't even know if it's available to rent or whatever. But after watching this last night, it did. Even though I know it's like an inferior, much inferior film, it did make me want to watch the sequel, the class of nineteen ninety nine two or whatever. Mm-hmm. The substitute. The substitute, yeah. Sasha Mitchell, right? Yeah. So, and that's always kind of what steered me away from that movie because I always knew him as his goofy, kid-friendly character from Step by Step. Now here, the you know. They rammed the kind of armored school bus into... Uh, I thought the armored school bus was very cool. But they ram it into Patrick Kilpatrick, who, like... Then there's an explosion. But then when they walk inside, like, not too much... Like, just hardly anything that's, like, charred or burned up inside the school. It's weird. Mm-hmm. It's like this giant fire instantly goes out by itself or something. I'm glad that this there's like more to it than this though because yeah. the movie could, like, easily could have just ended with that you know like running him over with the school bus and I think like it would have been you know still a somewhat satisfying movie but it's nice that it keeps pushing it you know to another level after this yeah and it's like they easily could have like left and got away but they want to go inside to see if any of their friends are left alive Mm -hmm. or whatever so that's what i meant when i said earlier that pretty much everybody dies in this movie because malcolm mcdowell's dead the little brother's dead you know all the gang members now are dead yeah Yeah, it's a pretty pretty nihilistic ending even as a happy ending but yeah but look now we have our trio of heroes hector cody and uh christy christy yeah but see what I mean? Like, they come in, okay, there's a little bit of fire, and then, like, right by there, like, the trophy case that is, like, maybe 15 feet away from that huge explosion, like, mm-hmm. like the glass isn't even broken out of it. Yeah, none of these bodies are on fire or anything yeah. charred up. Yeah, it's a female gang member, who I don't know if her name is ever said in the film. She didn't, get it on, she didn't get an on-screen death. She's just laying there. Yeah. And I'm kind of with you on that, because... There is more gang members that necessarily you don't see talk or get to know or know their fate mm-hmm. name or anything, but you see them a lot through on you know throughout the movie quite a bit and a lot of shots. So it would have been nice, even if it was just like a quick machine gun spray, just to see some of them die. You know, there was kind of a weird moment there where they cut to like the the shop or whatever, and it's just like it's clearly like a still image for a moment. Yeah, I noticed that too. Yeah, it's kind of like jittering too, like not jittering, mm-hmm. but it has like some noise in the picture. I don't know. And, like, that's what called it to it. It's like a steel still shot. Now, here's where we get to some definite, like, Terminator-esque effects yeah. that I'm I'm sure, like, a modern audience of hipsters would, like, just crack up and goof on. But, like I said, I don't know. I think it's all pretty badass. 
Yeah, I mean, the only thing that's like kind of like whatever is the side of the face on the puppet that has yeah. that still still has skin on it. It kind of looks here. Here's the one stop yeah. stop motion. I don't even know if it's stop motion. It might just be the the robot being puppeteered on a green screen. But that was the one real obvious shot like that. But yeah, I know what you mean. The only, like it looks the the part that has the skin on it looks a little goofy. But I mean, in terms just the overall effect, I love it. Like I actually think like you know all these modern blockbusters. I don't think they they could would even know how to take the time to sell something like this on screen. And like I always thought in this movie in particular, it works well because like I said, they're they're robots. At this point, it's a damaged robot. It's not going to be moving that smooth. You know. Mm-hmm. Like I think it looks like pretty perfect. Here we have Hector buys it. Stacy Keach blows him away. Stacy Keach, I don't want to tell you know the evil villain how to do his business, but he's mm. like saying now he's like, well, I have to kill you because like I have to get away from here. But they had never met this character before. Right. They didn't know who he was. He could have just left. You know, there's like really nothing. Assuming that they like the the teacher would still kill them or whatever, he didn't really need to worry about it that much. I don't think. Yeah, I feel like there maybe there should have been more of a moment of Stacy Keach trying to relate to the robot or take the robot with him, and then that's when the robot killed him because the robot really just comes up and kind of rips his heart out from the back. Kill, kill, kill. I have this. I have to say, like, um, like you said before, like they could have just ended it with the bus, but they come up, I think, with a really great way to kind of, you know, kill. Oh, it's the... yeah, it's a fantastic idea. I think it's even better, in all honesty. Even though this whole kind of end sequence is a little bit of a rip off of the end of the first Terminator film, I think this is kind of even a better way than how they killed the Terminator in Terminator. Yeah, it's more unique for sure. Yeah. Although right there, when he like rams the like the forklift into it, yeah. he's really putting a lot of faith that he wouldn't hit her. I was know? gonna say like, that like there's no way he could have done that for real and not just stab the shit out of her because he because the the robot is basically on top of Tracy Lind, and he drives the forklift in and stabs it through the robot, but not her somehow. Mm-hmm. So then she wraps a chain around his neck. So the robot is getting, well, he's not getting strangled, like choked for air, but, you know, he's hung up by the neck from the, the, the metal chain from the ceiling. So then he uses the forklift to, like, push down to basically rip him apart between the forklift and the chain. And I like that there's actually still gore with, like, the green goop spooting, yeah. spilling out and shit everywhere. This is awesome. I mean, this is, like, what I watch movies for is a moment like yeah. this. Like, it's just so great. Like, the practical effects and the creativity of the death and just shot, it shot so well that like that shot it, it of the really head is. like screaming and falling down and like like that's 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 about the perfect way to shoot a practical effect you know because mm-hmm. I mean you build these things to operate a certain way but you know on the on the day of on the set you know it's hard to kind of get all this shit to work correctly a lot of times yeah. and they pulled it off here I think I do like how they just like now they just peace out without even going to check on Hector you're right. I mean, I, it looks to me like he just kind of got shot in the shoulder. You know, you right. might want to see if he might be okay. You know? <laughs> and th- and that's where, you know, rewatching this again last night, I was like, wow, this movie really is, like, that's what hammered home, everybody dies. Because you see Hector's body laying there, 
I thought for sure it was going to be that thing where, yeah, like you said, he got shot in the shoulder and he'd be all right, you know, and they mm-hmm. all kind of walk off together. No, like, you know, as, as a, there's a great moment here, too, where Tracy Lynn kind of turns around to, you know, look at the damage. She, she steps on some shit that's burning and, like, stumbles into some fire. Watch this. Turns around, looks, and then look at her feet. She's like, Whoop, whoops. <laughs> My shoes are on fire now. Yeah. But yeah, it really is. And it, it is a great shot to end shot with the smoke and the fire and the burning. They're walking out of the school, you know. I dig this song too. I think it's a good, like, yeah, just ending song. Yeah. Like, it sounds a, like a tiny bit dated, but then when I saw like mm-hmm. that it was actually a theme made for the, you know, whatever, for the movie and everything. So I said, and I mean, like, uh, I don't know, people might listen, if anyone's listening to this without watching the movie or whatever, they might think we're kind of overly blowing this, like, what seems like on paper to be a cheesy kind of 80s, you know, B-movie. But I said at the time when I watched it, and I stand by it, the big compliment I gave this film after watching it was, like, if this movie came out today, uh, just as is, it would, like, be one of my favorite movies of the year. Right. Because it's just, like, everything about it, like you said, is just kind of, like, perfect in its own way. That's not to say it's, like, an amazing film, but... It's the kind of film where you said you, it's hard to have any complaints about because it knows what it is. It knows its limitations budget wise and, you know, story wise and just leans into everything perfectly. And it really does show Mark Lester is kind of like a, a, you know, a master of the genre. I kind of look at Mark Lester as kind of like a Jack Hill. Uh, yeah, um, just, just someone who's great at like, you know, that kind of that B-level exploitation film and, and knowing how to get the most out of what he's working with. Yeah, I, I mean, this movie was, it was more when I was younger, it was, like, you came to this recently, this movie is more a big deal to when I was, a, you know, a kid, because like I said, I was like, you know, a, def- a very devoted reader of Fangoria magazine, so I saw all the pictures months and months before the movie came out, I think it was even, they started running the, maybe some of the articles before it even got delayed a little bit, so I mean, I was like waiting for like a year and something, I remember when I saw it, finally saw it on a video shelf, and I rented it, and in no way was I disappointed. Like, this was one of my favorite movies, like, you know, for a while when I was, like, I think it probably would have been, uh, probably, like, around 13 or so when this came out. This really was one of my favorite movies. And, you know, and, like, with the robots and stuff, I, I obviously, you know, saw the Terminator influence. But I was a huge Terminator fan as a kid, like, a huge fan. I, like, even before T2 came out, believe it or not, just from... Uh, seeing the first movie theatrically I always was so I mean it was definitely it's definitely up a 13 or 14 year old kid's alley but I know exactly what you mean even you watch it now and you're like you know like not to shit on the modern filmmakers and maybe sometimes it's just because they don't have the budget to do something as grand as this movie was but it's like yeah it's like just what was possible at this time period you know it's just, it's it's pretty it's pretty amazing the lengths that they went through you know to kind of set these things up and mm-hmm. the sets the vehicles the the robots i mean and, and all honestly like this is a pretty great cast like having stacy keach and pam greer and malcolm mcdowell in the same film you know for like i said like this wasn't a, a quote-unquote low-budget movie for the time but, you know, it, it wasn't an A-list picture either, you know what I mean? But, mm-hmm. you know, obviously Mark Lester knew what he was doing and knew how to put a good cast together. So, yeah, I, I really like it, and I can't wait to get the special edition to, you know, kind of dive into all the special features and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I think Class of 1984 is the better movie. 
Yeah, but I, I think too. this one might be the more fun movie, and that's a, that's yeah. a pretty good one-two punch, you know. Yeah, this one is, you know, because it, it's really funny too. Because you know, after we examined these and we watched them and did a little bit of research here and there, is when I was a kid, class of nineteen eighty four. Like I said, because like, I I didn't see. I saw this film before I saw class of nineteen eighty four, and when I finally did see class nineteen eighty four, it was on a. Uh, you know, a regular TV broadcast that was edited as shit. So for many years, I, I held held this film, you know, in much higher regard than Class of 1984. But now when you watch it, Class of 1984, even though it was meant to be very schlocky and very, like, exploitive of the time, it kind of rings more true to yeah. kind of how things are now. And this movie, I think, reads much more like a comic book film. You know what I mean? It's, Mm-hmm. It's very kind of garish with its, you know, colors and uh, its humor and it's just, you know, but, but I mean, I just, by no means, I mean, I, I think this is, you know, like a masterpiece, you know, of, of this type of, you know, movie. I think Mark L. Lester, I mean, I really think he's, I guess in a way is one of the people who kind of pushed you know, the B-movie and the exploitation movie, like, kind of to its limits, because he, he kind of goes into, you know, kind of A-list spectacle here. Like, you don't see this this much, you know what I mean? Class of 1999, copyright. Copyright 1989. 1989. <laughs> <laughs> All rights reversed, best, best drawn pictures. So, yeah. So, that's it. I'm glad that, you know, you kind of... How did you uh how did you finally get the bug and see this? Was it just that you just bought the Vestron release? No, is that it was that Don May uh had recently picked it up and okay. typically so for like so I think maybe I've talked about this on this show before, but for those who don't know, I actually am a, I'm friends with Don May Jr. who runs Synapse Films, the the great DVD Blu-ray company. It puts out, you know, like the restoration of Suspiria and stuff like that. And uh, we have kind of like a regular movie night where we watch films over at his place because he's got a great home theater. And he just kind of buys everything. He buys every Blu-ray that comes out. And so he's just always got this pile of stuff. And we just kind of will randomly choose something to watch. And this was something that was sitting there. And he, you know, hadn't watched it in a long time. And I, you know, just thought it looked like one of the more interesting picks from what he had available. So we checked it out. And I just, like, instantly fell in love with it. And I ordered it from Amazon the next day. I was like, well, I, I have to own that. So. Yeah, because I remember when you saying, you say, hey, I saw a class. Like, I remember you really had a strong reaction to it. You know? I did, yeah. No, I was, like, instantly obsessed with it. I gave it, I went on Letterboxd and wrote, like, a five-star review for it, which was not ironic. I was saying, like, no, for the, like I said, like, the kind of movie it is – I think it's totally worthy of like a perfect score. And uh, yeah, I was it's just instantly smitten. And I started introducing it to people. I've shown this to a, a couple batches of friends already. And nice. I, and nobody has been disappointed. That's the thing. It's like, you always wonder, like, am I crazy or something? But no, everyone agrees. And like, it's kind of blown away by it. You know, and it just seems like one of those like, I'm glad Vestron put it out as a special edition because it seems like it should be a bigger cult hit. Like, it right. feels like it has all the right elements to be one of those kind of beloved cult movies of the 80s. I kind of feel like, too, um, you know, obviously all these films have some type of, you know, cult um, following or whatever. But I kind of feel like when these companies, whether it be like, you know, even Synapse or, you know, Vestron or Screen Factory, Shout Factory. I feel like when they put these things out again, it kind of puts that spotlight on, on back onto these films for a little bit. And like it, mm-hmm. it definitely, you know, helps kind of make the cult grow bigger. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. 
it's kind of like the stamp of approval that you know draws more people to it. So yeah, so for the class of 1999, they basically graduated by killing their teachers and blowing their school up. But for the class of 2018, hopefully you guys just graduated and are now going to enter the the workforce or go up to, you know, higher education or whatever. So mm-hmm. do you have any any words for graduates, Trev? Any words of wisdom? What should they be doing? Um <laughs> Probably uh, just finding jobs as quickly as possible because it's a rough world out there. <laughs> so um, I don't know. It's weird because like it depends on your if you're asking me for like high school graduation or college graduation. Um, you're just graduating from high school. Uh, I'd say my words of advice are hunker down and know that those past four years, for as much as people might tell you otherwise, um, weren't amazingly important. No, you know what I mean? You're going to be a much different person in just a few years from now than you are right now. Um, so take the lessons you need from that time. But don't worry. Like, a, it's a cliche, but it gets better if you had a hard time. And also, like, that kind of, like, stupidity that you encounter every day, you won't get fully away from. But it, it you'll get a little respite from it in adult life. So yeah, I have to be honest, too. You know, you hear that phrase a lot, too. It gets better for people who had a hard time getting through high school. Mm-hmm. I think even if you enjoyed high school, I think life gets better still. Because, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I, th- I think about, like, the shit you can do as an adult and, like, how, like, pretty much you can just go do whatever you want. You can just buy whatever you want. You know, I mean, within reason. I mean, you know, not many people can just snap their fingers and go buy a porch or something but i'm saying like you can you know you can go to the movies when you want to you can eat, yeah you know like you can eat candy for dinner you can do what the hell you want like so i just you know i, I think growing up is um you know you know it's, it's something that you know we put such a value on on youth and you know what have you accomplished by the age of 18 or 20 or even 25 or something like that but it's just like I don't know. I I I, th- I think graduate. I think if you know, and also too, I remember when I was young. It's it's like you people try to give you advice, and you just think, oh, you're just some old person. You don't know what it's like for me, or blah blah blah. But it's like no. Nah, it's it's like I think if um, you know, kids nowadays, young people nowadays, if they knew what, if they had just a more formed idea of what life is really like, it's uh, you know, don't be don't be afraid to graduate and move on and have new experiences you know because yeah you know I, I think you know obviously we all have hard times in life we all fall on hard times we all have tragedies that you know befell befall us or our family members i mean i'm it's not that you know everything you know is is always happiness but uh i i, I think you know you definitely should not be afraid to grow up you know mm-hmm. i feel like we have a weird society that kind of acts like once you grow up, everything dies and everything is miserable. But I don't find that to be the case at all. So no, yeah, look, like we have like you know, fifty-year-olds making comic book movies nowadays, right. and and sixty-year-olds going and watching them and enjoying them. So exactly. don't worry about it. Like yeah, don't worry about can, it. You can be an adult and still be in touch with your, you know, the the more childish side, and that's fine. And, and, and hey, if you and if you graduated and you're listening to this, then you survived high school, which in America nowadays you're already ahead of the game. So. Exactly, exactly. There's a, you know, generations coming up right now are just you know kind of the fight just for you know have safety and whatever. Mm-hmm. So you know you're alive, you're kicking. 
my advice to you guys just be simple just keep watching these these hot flicks that have been sitting around <laughs> for the last 20 30 40 i mean it's pre- it's pretty mind-blowing when you think pretty much next year will be the 30th anniversary of this movie right yeah if i'm doing my math right yeah it's pretty pretty crazy but don't uh don't just live in the present live in the past a little bit too so go yep. back respond you know discover this shit if 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 Trev if Trev could be converted to being a fan of this movie at this point in his life, you know, you know, old dogs can learn new tricks. So, That's right. just goes to show that there's plenty of great things to discover. All right, so I hope these words of wisdom have helped all you all out there. It's kind of like they like they got has to do a commencement speech, <laughs> right? <students>. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like I saw like Michael Keaton was doing a commencement like somewhere in Ohio. I think it was, and I was just like, you, you don't need Michael Keaton to <laughs> tell you what to do with your life. You, yeah, you need the goat and Trev to sit here and tell you to watch more Mark L. Lester fine filmmaking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyway, that's it for me. Uh, I know Trev. Man, you're just slaving away over at the Days of Future podcast right now, aren't you? With this, yeah, we got a Deadpool uh, mania hitting, yeah. so we'll be we'll be reviewing that for sure. And we've been taste testing the various Deadpool fast or uh, you know food tie-ins and stuff. Uh, Actually, there's weird. alcohol tie-ins now. Yeah, we we had that too. Um, but it's uh yeah, we know where our bread is buttered. So right now it's all Deadpool all the time, and then we'll get back to our normal uh, X Men uh, talk so, soon. So yeah, so if if you like Deadpool, go listen to the Days of Future podcast. You know, a podcast examining the X Men. So find out. You can find all out about how the Dark Phoenix is just called the Dark Phoenix now, supposedly. So Apparently, maybe, yeah. yeah. Maybe that would be exciting for you too. <laughs> but, but really, I know you want that hot Deadpool news and experience. So, so yeah. So anyway, you know, thanks for. Uh, not only sitting down to uh, record this episode, Trev, but also thanks for, uh, you know, suggesting this film and, you know, and then this film helped us, you know, kind of led us to do the previous film, Class of 1984. So, uh, you know, I'm I'm happy about it. I feel it turned out well. Hopefully we can, yep. you know, convert more fans to this film. So everybody. It's pretty much my life mission from now on is exposing <laughs> Class of 1999 to more people. <laughs> it's like apocalyptic movie like like you put on your like leather i'm not duster. lying there's a there's a i'm hanging out with some friends i haven't seen in a while this weekend and there's a really good chance i'm just gonna take this blu-ray and be like eh, eh, what do you guys think you know we're just sitting around doing nothing you know what's great about that there's probably going to be a period of several hours where, where you probably you you got like the move all planned out how you're going to bring it up and nobody <laughs> nobody will ever see it coming i love it that's great All right, everybody, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time on the Movie Graveyard. You're listening to the Electronic Media Collective Podcast Network. Yeah, it's a mouthful. For more great shows, visit electronicmediacollective.com.